Hello, hello fellow humans. Welcome to the human experience. My name is Flick. I'm the host of the podcast and joining me today is a very special guest, somebody that I got to know through her book, through coming to her signing. She's been a CEO. She's worked in not-for-profit. She's a public speaker. She's just kind of kick-ass. So welcome to the podcast, Lucy Bloom. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Thanks for <laughs> squeezing me into your very busy day. No problem. <laughs> Now, for all the listeners at home, if you've not heard of Lucy, well, you're definitely about to because Lucy <laughs> is absolutely amazing. She's inspired people, I think, probably all over the world at this point because you've gone around speaking and you've done so much work all over the world. And uh, I highly, highly recommend, I'm going to plug this up front, that you get Lucy's book. And the name of the book is? Thanks for the plug. It's you're Get welcome. the Girls Out, a yep. memoir of love, loss and letting loose. The full title. I love it. Yeah. I feel like you've sort of had a chance to practice that now. <laughs> <laughs> I have, I guess. Yeah. Actually, we battled over the title. The working sure. title of the book for four years was Saving the World One Vagina at a Time. And the publisher was like, that's never going to happen. Yeah, that can be your working title if you mm -hmm. wish, but that is never going to happen. <laughs> and, and, and they were right. Um, there are lots of reasons why that title wasn't going to work. <laughs> Um, mainly, mainly because their sales team would just die a thousand deaths if they're going to be flogging a book with Maybe that title. Maybe in a like re-release, you can kind of like <laughs> special edition version for selected people. You can yeah. make that happen. Yeah, get time. the girls out was a much better title. <laughs> and it is an amazing book. It was really eye-opening for me. And I mean, I fell in love with you as soon as you spoke. But then when I actually read your book and I chewed through your book, I was like crying and I was laughing and I was inspired and I was sitting there thinking and I was contemplating my world and like, yeah, it was a huge eye-opener for How me. How awesome. You yeah. know, I didn't set out to take the reader on an emotional roller coaster, mm -hmm. And I also didn't set out to inspire people to contemplate their own lives and make changes. I did not set out to do that. So that has been the most delightful surprise mm -hmm. and I get those messages every day from people finishing my book saying I just hurled your book across the room I just read it in <laughs> six and a half hours straight yep and the emotional the gamut of emotions I've just been through <laughs> I hear these messages all sound similar in different ways and I have just booked to do X or That's I awesome. have finally after reading your book I have got to quit this job or I, I never imagined that I thought I was just sharing some some cool stories. Mm -hmm. uh, I had set out to write a business book because that's right. what HarperCollins thought I could write. So I was really lucky. They came to me and said, we would like to acquire you as talent. What do you think you can write? Which is a really cool thing to happen to someone really who can write. It's a position to be in real life. Great, hey? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was so great. And funnily enough, it happened the day I was fired from my beloved job. So I was literally sitting in my car crying all yep. over my steering wheel <laughs> when a phone call came through a number I didn't recognize I picked it up and it was this lady from HarperCollins offering Crazy. me a book deal I was like well I have plenty of time on my hands Far out. isn't it weird how the universe just kind of serves things up sometimes my life seems to work that way yeah. it seems to work in massive contrasts yeah so I remember I, I won an award for academic excellence and I was presented that award by the Premier of New South Wales the mm -hmm. day I dropped out of university so then <laughs> Weird contrasts happen mm -hmm. in my life. So, so HarperCollins thought I could write a business book, yep. and that I was struggling so hard with that. I didn't feel qualified to really. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It just didn't roll off the tongue well. And then I met Ariana Huffington's sister, mm -hmm. and she said to me, "Stop writing a business book." 
It's great. I love bossy people. Just tell me what to do. No BS. Especially when you're a bit lost. I love people who just tell you. Yeah. Just do this. She goes, stop writing a business book. She said, write down the stories you want to leave for the people you love. Oh, that's beautiful. And that redirected me just mm-hmm. in the way I needed to be at the time. And so I thought I was writing a book that was a chronicle of the stories I wanted to leave for the people I love. Wow. And so this outcome that all these amazing people messaged me, people I've never met before, Mm -hmm. all over Australia and some um, elsewhere, messaged me saying that it's had this massive impact on their life. It's just amazing. It's such a bonus. It's the best. Makes my day every time. That's good. It's like you've got all this constant positivity coming in towards you and that must just be kind of overwhelming. It's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, it's wonderful. And amazing reviews. Amazing reviews. I posted one on Twitter today because... I reread it and I thought I never imagined someone would write those kinds of words about my book that it's had that much impact on them. Wow. It's amazing. Well, Fabulous. Congratulations. Wonderful. I'm Thank you. So happy for you. <laughs> it's always exciting to see, you know, someone that lives their life marching to the beat of their own drum. And I think that's really you in a nutshell after reading your book and hearing you speak. It's like Take, take all of us back a little bit. Is that what you were like as a kid as well? Did you just do your own thing? Great question. I think you're right. I do uh, march to the beat of my own drum. I do play my own music mm-hmm. these days. Right. But I'm 45. Mm-hmm. I'm halfway through my life expectancy. Mm-hmm. And I think once you hit most women, once they hit their 40s, they're a lot surer of who they are. Okay. And when I turned 40, I lost my job and my marriage ended all within a month of each other. And I had just testified in, the, in a royal commission and that, mm. that set off um, a stream of events that uh, I would never be able to undo. So that was a killer year and that all happened when I was 40. Uh, wow. So everything that I, had, that I thought I wanted was taken away from me mm-hmm. and so I had to decide what I wanted. It was actually the best thing that could have happened to me. At the yeah. time I wouldn't tell you that it was a wonderful <laughs> thing at all. It was awful. I call it the year of the shit sandwich. Yeah. But, uh, but it did happen. Mm-hmm. And then I was given this wild opportunity, this open space to decide what I did want my life to be like. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I wasn't really like that as a kid. I was the youngest of four, busy household. I was born in Africa, super strict religious parents. Okay. So I wasn't allowed to step out of line. And I wasn't given much freedom to be creative and to be a person in in modern culture because Mm -hmm. it was such a religious family I came from. Right. Uh, and it wasn't until um, until I was married in my 20s and living my own life that I was starting to take my own steps. But I still took very conservative steps because that, that was my upbringing. Right. So like I said, it wasn't until I was 40 that I really went, okay, what is it that I want? This is the life I want to live. This is where I want to live. It's going to be really fun. And you know what? I don't care what anyone thinks of those decisions. And people probably don't care what decisions I made, but I had to make a conscious effort not to pay any attention to opinions mm-hmm. of the choices I was making. So I now yeah. live 40 minutes away from my kids. And I imagine some people think that's a terrible thing. You know what? I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I care. Because I also worked out that when I put myself first, everybody benefits. Everybody I love benefits. Yeah. Uh, and so as soon as I was happy, I could give so much more of myself to my kids. So they spend Monday to Friday with their dad, mm-hmm. weekends and school holidays with me. Mm-hmm. And I'm a much happier person than I ever was before I made those decisions. But I think key is not caring what anyone thinks. Yeah, it's kind of stepping into your own authenticity and kind of going, stuff it. 
this is who yeah. I am. Yeah, this is it and I'm living it and I'm having a ball and don't care what anyone thinks. And sometimes okay. I do need reminders not to care. Yeah. And my bestie is really good at reminding me, just giving me a nudge when I'm having a little <laughs> meltdown. <laughs> She'll send me a screenshot of something I've said on my own social media just to remind me <laughs> not to care. You need those people to keep you accountable yeah, sometimes. Yeah, she's unreal. That's awesome. It's good yeah. that you've got somebody in your life. I think we all need someone like that that just goes... Just cut the crap. Yeah, I think thick skin is also a good superpower to have. Yeah. So especially when we're exposed to lots of people online, I always say in the universe, in the world, there is a 5% dickhead rate <laughs> everywhere you go. Yeah. So we're here today in a co-working space. There's a bunch of people here. 5% of them are dickheads. Yep. Are not very nice people that we don't want to deal with. Absolutely. But when you jump on the internet, your exposure is suddenly to thousands and thousands of people per day. And it Absolutely. depends on how big the groups are that you're in and how many groups. But there's still a 5% dickhead rate. Right. So I have, I've accepted that a long time ago. And then so lots of little comments just, they don't even stick with me. They don't, I, I read them, I see them, but mm -hmm. they don't lodge with me at all. That's fantastic because I think that's, most people's biggest issue is that they can have a hundred positive things said to them, but the one negative thing is the thing that actually sticks with them the most and yeah. then becomes like something that they try and match their identity against. Like, I'm only good if I'm not causing that. this reaction. That's right. And, and our brain is designed yeah. to do that to to protect us. Absolutely. But we're no longer running from saber-toothed tigers, so we probably don't need to fall for that anymore. We have to override that <laughs> yes. necessity. Yeah. Uh, the chimp brain doesn't always need to be in control. That's right. Yeah. That's the evolved right. brain can be better for us at times. Yeah. So I think that, that thick skin is an mm -hmm. important aspect of not caring what other people think. Yeah. Fantastic. And so obviously you've had a lot of experience. You've been in a marketing industry but you've also then done not-for-profit and that's taken you all over the world and yeah, you've been exposed right. to some pretty amazing things would you say that seeing how other people live has helped you to bounce back from your own adverse situations in in maybe a more positive way because you sort of have the opportunity to have perspective sure seeing the way other people live and by that I think you're referring to people who live with poverty absolutely people in developing countries mm -hmm. that has always given me a massive punch in the gratitude gland so yep. every time I go overseas and I think the worst poverty I've ever seen up close was in Madagascar that's the worst poverty right. I've ever come it's worse than India mm -hmm. worse than the poverty I've seen in Ethiopia um, Mozambique all those countries yep. Madagascar just took my breath away wow. but what it does is it really stamps on my gratitude gland so I come home and I love one of the, the reasons why I love traveling so much is it makes me adore home even more. I love home. Mm -hmm. I love my pillow. I love my little sunroom full of plants. And coming home to it is so much better. But all that travel and seeing the way people live and dealing with poverty and the challenges in developing countries means that when I'm faced with adversity and mm -hmm. massive challenges, and I've had a few in my time. You sure have. Um, cer certainly poverty is not one of them. No. But I've had some killer challenges, like a massive motorcycle accident, nearly mm -hmm. lost my leg, um, losing my job, my marriage, other, and other challenges. I'm just too grateful for what I have to let it knock me down for too long. So it yeah. definitely does knock me down. And mm -hmm. it does take a while to get back up and sure. rebuild and regroup and reboot and keep going. You're still human. But I do because all I can see is 
how is what I have. Mm-hmm. I've had to consciously reverse that though. I remember when um, I was married, we built a house, and I remember noticing that all we could see was everything we were yet to finish. But anyone yeah. else, anyone else who popped in on our brand new shiny house, all they could see was everything we'd already built and how beautiful it was. It's true. And uh, I, I do that with my life as well. Instead of, uh, instead of thinking about everything that's missing, I just look at everything I have. It's the basics of gratitude. Absolutely. But it fuels me. It really pushes me along and helps me get back up. So yeah, I lost my job, but damn, my pillow's soft. Yeah. And <laughs> it gave losing my job gave me some time to regroup. Yeah. Some time to spend with my kids. Mm-hmm. Now I don't, um, it would have to be a really, really spectacular CEO job to pull me back into full-time work, which yeah. is actually not great for your body or your health. And Agreed. so that push out of that corporate life meant that I now have a lifestyle where I can be around for my kids in school holidays. So I can just block out school holidays and we have a ball. We have two solid weeks together. That's when I ran an ad agency, we could not do that. Absolutely. And so my kids were in after school care and my kids were in school holiday care mm-hmm. and that's not that's not really living life for me. Yes. So that big push seemed like a disaster, but all I could see was the positives. Great. I can stay home with my kids some more. I can regroup. I can decide what I ab- absolutely love doing and mm-hmm. focus on that. Yeah. Yeah, I can't help myself being grateful and the being optimistic without being that irritating optimist who's always like, <laughs> yeah. you know, you lost your legs, great, you'll you'll save money on socks. Like not <laughs> that kind of yeah. irritating optimist. Um, yeah. I do want to give a high five in the face with the chair. I and I'm not one of those, I promise. No. You're it's, more of a realist. With I guess a, with so. A dash of gratitude for yeah. it. And I, do, I like to talk to my house and my plants and stuff and that's just me on my own. Yeah. Well, that's me too. I walk, I talk to myself and my walls and everything yeah. that I, I verbalise everything because it's brain training. It's like, it's how you foster gratitude yeah. by getting it out and actually putting it right in front of your brain and saying, yeah, this is this is great. Yeah. I'm actually pretty damn lucky. When I got back from over, my last overseas trip, I had the most amazing time in Europe. Mm-hmm. And I got back and I just stood in the middle of my lounge room and said, hello, housey. <laughs> Just me on my own. Oh, yeah, it's so good to be home. That's awesome. Yeah. Now, you've obviously done all of this work in the not-for-profits. Is that what has helped you then to talk about doing business differently? Is it specifically to the not-for-profits or just experience you've had in general? I don't think it's specific to not-for-profits. I think I'm a, I think a bit differently. Mm-hmm. And my first 20 years of my career was running an advertising agency. Right. And that's good for me because I bore easily short attention span. So when you run an agency, you're flipping from one client to the next. Yep. Honestly, you could be doing that every 15 minutes, bam, 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 dealing yep. with client requirements and needs. And that suited me really well. So you have a whole different creative approach to one client and you've just got to like switch brains, switch typefaces, color palettes, <laughs> um, briefs, um, yep. brand personality, voice, everything onto the next client. Right. So I learnt early on to take learnings from one industry and apply it to another with great success. That's awesome. 
makes total sense to me. Mm-hmm. And then when I took that leap into the not-for-profit sector, I had almost no not-for... Well, I'd, I'd worked for an agency years ago that worked on the World Vision business. Okay. So I'd learnt some of those rules of thumb about dumbing things down a bit so it looks a bit cheap and nasty so it doesn't look too glossy and fancy and mm-hmm. a few things about how underlining text works and how older donors, give them an eight-page newsletter, they'll devour every word. Right. Uh, I learnt those sort of, that sort of stuff early on in my career. But when I became the CEO of an international aid charity, I applied my commercial knowledge of how to, part, how to help people part with their money yeah. with a smile on their face. Mm-hmm. And it's even harder in the charity sector because they, all they get is a tax deduction. You don't, yeah. you, they don't even get, you know, a bikini. Something physical. Yeah. Yeah, yeah there's nothing tangible yeah. about it. Yeah, they don't get a flashy new driveway or whatever. They, <laughs> they get a warm fuzzy and that's it. So yeah. it's an even harder marketing proposition. True. So I guess I just took that commercial knowledge to the charity sector and I gave it humour. So one of the easiest things to do when you're building a brand personality is to use your own. Yes. Because it's so much easier to write the copy, create the preferences, the colour palette, if it can be an outpouring of your own. Now, that doesn't apply to everything. No. But given the speed we were building that charity at, it made sense for that brand personality to come out of me, to be mine. Right. Um, and then also to... Um, to have a sort of side order of the founder, who was a beautiful Australian woman, very proper, mm-hmm. well-spoken, uh, elderly doctor. So there were these two sort of personalities that sat side by side, mm-hmm. and that just worked incredibly well. Yeah, the um, the need that we were addressing was was awful, mm-hmm. tragic, and embarrassing. So no one wants to talk about incontinence or vaginal injuries. No. Um, no one wants to talk about that stuff. And so I've always thought you address, if there's an elephant in the room, you saddle that thing up and take it for a ride. Yeah, agreed. So, uh, so I tried my best to make the copy and the conversation around this need as humorous and fun as we could. Mm-hmm. And then that worked really well because you you take your uh, donors and your and users, the people who are listening to you, take them for a ride and they're having yeah. a good time. Yeah. And then you kind of slam them with a horrid story. Yes. You kind of get them when they're not looking and mm-hmm. that's very effective. Mm-hmm. I only learnt that uh, doing it, actually doing it and mm-hmm. seeing, oh, wow, that actually really got some traction because the last 10, say, Facebook posts were all really funny, funny. We used to take cardboard cutouts of the founder to events because she was in Ethiopia and she couldn't attend (laughs) and we we had inflatable zebras and stuff in the office because we had this huge office that was way too big for us and we filled it up with zebras and then we would take them to events and we would sell them for $600 which was the cost of an operation in the hospital so it was all lots of humor but then the actual real life stories of the patients were heartbreaking yeah and that um, contrast was really effective so I can't even remember your original question but (laughs) Uh, I think it was about was uh, a, where did I yeah. yeah getting the doing things differently from where did where did that sort of yeah I think it's from? a bit in my DNA yeah and I've learned so much from working on so many different clients yeah and identifying who your in charity it's often a donor or mm-hmm. your customer profile really working out what that customer profile is yeah and then and then focusing on that right but 
thinking differently I guess I'm a creative thinker yeah and so I'm not brilliant at fitting molds mm -hmm. so if I had walked into that charity and someone had handed me a policy and procedures manual yes uh, it would have bored me to snores I much prefer creating a policy and procedures manual yeah. that was creative and that was created by the whole team mm -hmm. so I I've, every charity I've ever run or consulted to has needed a good policy book right and that sounds so boring, and it is, but if you've got good policy, you can actually take a lot more risks and do a lot more creative thinking and a lot more fun stuff if you've got good foundation of policy. Absolutely. So I've become a bit of a policy um, fan. Yeah. And I've handed out policies to the people in the team who wanted to own those policies. And it is the best fun when you get to write the policy. Yeah, uh, absolutely. For whatever your area <laughs> in the business is. And then you become the owner of the policy, you police the policy. It's great, great way to do business. Yeah. Um, and I like being that creator and thinker and doing things differently. I think I've always enjoyed that. That's the short answer to your question. <laughs> <laughs> and so you take that kind of message out now when you're doing public speaking, consulting with corporations and I know this doesn't just happen in Australia this is something that you do around the world is that one of your predominant messages is really just approaching things from a different angle yes yeah yes I guess so um, that speech which I call doing business differently I adapt to every audience of course. but it is the most popular speech that um, I have given that speech many times mm -hmm. because it is requested so many times right and it covers themes that are not spoken of in uh, in at conferences and events so they're, mm -hmm. they're quite foreign yes. so courage and resilience or bounce back I call it test you know, I, I tell people to test their nerve and build that resilience muscle. Don't just sit around waiting for something bad to happen. Actually test your nerve and build your resilience. Yeah. So courage, resilience, kindness. Mm -hmm. Not many businesses talk about how kindness can be part of the strategic plan. Yeah. Optimism uh, and how, and especially fun, how fun can actually feed into your bottom line. So if you mention bottom line yeah. as something that can be improved, suddenly corporate clients are really interested in hearing what you've got to say. So Absolutely. I think that's my... My next overseas speech is in Barcelona, and I'm giving that speech to fourteen thousand people. Oh, just just a just a casual, <laughs> small room. Of yeah, that's close actually, friends and that's places. the largest audience I've done. Are yeah. you? Do you feel ever intimidated when you get up to speak? Is it something that you get nervous about? Uh, not anymore. I used to. I used to be horrified. I used to just want the ground to open up and swallow me. I couldn't <laughs> even hear my own voice. Oh, really? I was so nervous. Mm -hmm. And that was in the early, early days, years ago, right. more than 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. And then I created a childbirth education program for men. So yes. that was one of my funny, creative thinking differently outputs mm -hmm. uh, that was ragingly successful because yes. no one was educating men on their role in childbirth. Mm -hmm. And I presented the Sydney classes um, for six years, every right. month in a pub with 20 or 30 dudes who didn't really want to be there. <laughs> so I had to give them two hours of content that they loved. Got it. I had to turn them around in the first 15 minutes or they'd leave and get them really enjoying it. Then they'd stay for dinner and then another session after dinner. And that taught me pace and good storytelling and, um, and familiar familiarity with the audience and with stories so I could pull and push stories out of my content depending on who was in the room. Got it. And do that 
happily. So now, now I don't. Uh, I don't get nervous. Mm-hmm. I just get a healthy heart pound <laughs> when they say, and our next speaker is Lucy Bloom, and then my heart goes, boof, boof. Yeah, that just <laughs> a nice feeling of adrenaline yeah. as it just goes, boof, I'm definitely alive when yeah. they say that. Yeah. Um, but that all comes because I know what I'm about to say. Yes. I, I've I've tried and tested it in conversations and yeah. in I actually tested a gag on you just earlier in this podcast and you responded beautifully. Oh gosh. So that may make it into a speech. It was the gag about the socks. Oh, do it. That is a great one. I think it's really funny. Yes. But I just tested on you and you responded well. Yeah. So uh, I I'd go into speeches um buzzing mm-hmm. but not dying yeah i know exactly what you mean <laughs> and that's only because of practice yeah so you've got that personal conviction you know what yeah. you're saying means something it resonates to you you're saying it through your authenticity so yeah someone said to me once the audience already loves you because it is so agonizingly painful if a speaker bombs that the audience yes. is already behind you to be awesome that is true and it, when they told me that it was just what i needed to hear i was starting to speak for bigger audiences right and that was perfect advice now i actually find the smaller the audience the more intimate the group i find that harder yes anything over a thousand in an audience they're just little dots yeah and they and Laughter is really infectious in a crowd that big, so they're easier to please. And then you become just a face on a screen. And also the energy comes back to you. You're feeling the energy in the room, which gives you a gauge, how am I doing? Exactly. And crowds that big, there's always good acoustics. You never get rubbish acoustics with a thousand or more people. It's always amazing. And they're always tiered and fabulous. It's true. But give me a group of 30, and I'm I'm not fond of those gigs at all because they're all just looking at you. Their eyes are burning into you. And they're less forgiving Mm. to who out laughing because I am hilariously funny speaker you are. yes and <laughs> in a small group it's harder to get that feedback right. so I have to shift I have to go okay I'm not the funny speaker I'm going to be the aha speaker in those small groups where they just go wow exactly I love yeah. it yeah so you're just kind of the chameleon you just are adapting a little bit to your environment yeah I have time. to I have to and yeah. I have a few tests so I have mm-hmm. a couple of things I can say at the beginning of a speech to gauge how warm the audience is mm-hmm. and to gauge how broad-minded they are. Got it. So there's a couple of things. If I say them at the start and I get a, a deadpan response, there's some stories later in my speech I'll drop from that because I don't think they're ready for it. Right. But if they're warm and laughing already, then I can actually give them a whole lot more. Right. And I can tell them much more broad-minded stories and really funny stuff and use words that are not normally used in corporate life <laughs> but everyone's going to laugh at and enjoy and That's relate true. to. That's yeah. true. Yeah. I love that. And one of the things I really enjoyed about, I guess, your book, but also then hearing you speak, is that you're the same person across the board. You and know that why? doesn't always happen. You know why? Because I'm lazy. And <laughs> it would take too much energy to be two different people. Yeah. So I'm the same person everywhere. I'm here in a podcast, same chick. On same. stage, same chick. If I sat next to you on a plane on the way here this morning, same chick. <laughs> because consistency takes less energy. That's so true. And same goes with um, with lying. Can't I can't come at lying because I could never remember. <laughs> I, there's no way I would remember the crap I said. And it's just easier to be truthful. Yes, there you go. That's a life lesson in a nutshell, right? <laughs> That's actually not why I don't lie. I don't lie because truth is what like my highest value. But it's it is just too hard. There's yeah. just no way you can keep up with lies. No, not at all. I would totally forget. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and same goes with the person you meet. I'm just consistent person yeah 
which I love. Again, it, I mean, it is truly rare. A lot of the time, the people that I've been exposed to, coming from an entertainment background, is when you see someone up, even speaking about their own story, they're a different person. Yeah, on stage to what they are. Yeah, on podcasts, some, some people protect own, you know. themselves that way, yeah. which is totally fine. Yeah, absolutely fine. I remember meeting Angelina Jolie. I was invited to meet yeah. her, and she is a total stunner. I, a total stunner. How did you even get words out of your mouth looking at? And she's just elegantly. Yeah, very elegant. I had oh. to stare from a distance for a while <laughs> before I could approach Working the bench. Approach, yep. Yeah, she's she is a stunner. And then Brad Pitt was doing laps in the street, taking selfies with fans. It was oh fabulous. Gosh hilarious wonderful night and something I noticed about her was one-on-one she was just like you and I chatting Mm -hmm. here now she sounded just like I know her voice to sound in all the movies I've seen she looked beautiful she's taller than I expected she's slimmer than I expected but sounded the same super personable yeah then we went into the theater to watch her film Mm -hmm. called uh, Unbroken which is it's a bit hard going there yes. are, there's no comic relief in that film. No. It is hard going. Lots of torture. And it's like, oh, could this get worse? Yes, it can. <laughs> so it's a bit like that. And then we went in to see her film and she came on stage with one of the producers and, a, and I think the main star of that film mm-hmm. and, or one of the main stars and she was a completely different person. Wow. And I was so surprised. Now, the different person was because she was really nervous. There you go. Yeah, so one-on-one, she's delightful. Yeah. And... But in front of an audience of about 350, Mm -hmm. she was really nervous and spoke really quietly and did not like answering questions and very quickly handed the mic to the others uh, on the stage. So I can see, I guess, why she's a screen actor. Yeah. Um, and not a stage actor and it just didn't suit her one bit wow and that's certainly not a criticism I think some people just have a protection around themselves Um, and I'm too lazy for that (laughs) (laughs) well I like that you're too lazy for that I appreciate that Um, I'm the same chick with my kids too same same vocabulary I'm just the same (laughs) so good now when I was when I was driving here today I was thinking how how could I possibly sum up Lucy Blue, in a word, <laughs> because you, you've had so many roles, you've done so many different things, such a vast array of experience. And again, I'm plugging, please go and read the book. Anyone that's listening, you must, must, must read Lucy's book. Um, it's so eye-opening. But I guess the word that I settled on was colourful. Because oh, thanks. You know, I'll take that. Yeah. I yeah. think you live life vibrantly. You, It's like you're squeezing the juice out of life and you've got bright colorful hair everyone at home bright pink hair is oh, it's most... perfect for a podcast isn't it oh, it's just, yeah. <laughs> let me try and describe it to you <laughs> you need to see her hair check do some social media stories. do what do my daughter usual. does she gets her friends she's mm-hmm. still in year six so they sit in you know big desks big right. tables together she get and they've all got phones mm-hmm. totally different world to the one i grew up in she gets her friends to google their mother's name <laughs> So Google your mum and then they all show their phones mm-hmm. and so mine comes up this pink mohawk. <laughs> Love that. I bet yeah. all the kids are like, wow, that's so yeah, cool. Yeah, I like colourful. That's yeah. good. Yeah. I was at an awards night last night and you know where sometimes people introduce you while you're standing there and mm-hmm. then you hear them describe you the way they'd like to describe you? Yeah. And a friend of mine introduced me to her new CEO and she said, oh, Lucy, Lucy is famous for being an agitator. Oh, <laughs> Wow. <laughs> I said, okay, I can take that. And I have done, I've definitely done some agitating in my time. Sure. And I, I call things out that aren't right. Yes. And sometimes that has earned me a massive smackdown or cold shoulder. Sure. 
Uh, so, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay yeah. with the consequences of that mm -hmm. if necessary. So I've done that. It's usually around gender and diversity. Yeah. So if I see a whole panel of white men, I oh, can't help I've it. I've seen you do this on I social. Have to, yeah, yeah, I have to just go hashtag sausage fest. Yeah. And, uh, and I've done that before with um, uh, when there's too many white women on a cover of a magazine, for example. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, there's so much diversity and Australian culture is so diverse and the media doesn't reflect what our culture looks like. Our media is no. super white. Absolutely. You know, at the moment, is, I'm not sure if it's still the case because I don't have a TV, but I think morning television is still dominated by really pretty skinny blonde ladies. Predominantly, yeah. And there's nothing wrong with those no. unless they are dominating the media <laughs> and doing all the news reading and waking, yeah. you know, that's not what our culture looks like. No, so and it's also I, setting a bad example. We're all sitting at home thinking, I don't look like that person. Yeah, you can't, can't be. Do that thing. You can't be what you can't see. Exactly. And I'm a white lady, mm -hmm. so I'm kind of, you know, headbutting my own kind. But I want to live in an inclusive society that is reflective of. It's diversity. Yeah. Um, and that's that's not old white men filling entire boards no. and panels and speaking lineups. Mm -hmm. I'm often the only woman, let alone the only pink mohawk, in a lineup of speakers. Yeah. And I often don't only see that. I don't see that until I'm at the event. Those right. those speaker lineups often aren't aren't confirmed until close to the day. And so then I'm calling out this sort of stuff against a client. <laughs> Yeah, which I'm sure can put you in hot water sometimes. Yeah, yeah. so there'd been a few, there was one cracker where I um, pointed out a sausage fest. I was asked to present an award right. and I noticed that that night only one woman, the woman who opened the evening, was given the mic all night. The rest of the night it was all men. Women won awards, but they weren't actually allowed to speak. Wow. So it was all men, including two male MCs. And, and I called that out on the night with, a, you know, like three or four tweets. And then I was sent a cease and desist letter that week. Wow. By that organisation. Guess you won't be speaking with them for... <laughs> well, then they, then they sent a nasty... Oh, no way. Then they sent a nasty letter about um, defamation action. And the cool thing about being 45 mm -hmm. is your friends are barristers and... <laughs> brain surgeons professionals your friends have achieved great professional success and so I could ask any number of barristers I know yeah what's the caper here and got an answer really quick well in New South Wales you cannot sue an association mm -hmm. cannot sue for defamation and this letter had come from the lawyer of an association <laughs> so with great pleasure I forwarded that letter on to um, Fairfax and that became an article and then those tweets which had barely uh, you know hardly anyone saw them yeah half a million people saw them wow so apparently that's called the Streisand effect oh because okay. Barbara Streisand requested that images aerial images taken of her house mm -hmm. on the coast somewhere in Florida or somewhere be removed from some database okay but the second she made that request that's what brought all the viewers like millions of people came to right. see this image Whereas if she just let it go, no one was going to see it anyway. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, the Barbara Streisand effect. There you go. Yeah, so I'm choosy about what I call out. It's usually uh, a gender issue or a diversity issue where we can do better. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And sometimes someone has to actually speak what is unspoken for things mm. to actually change, you know.
got to put yourself in the firing line sometimes. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So my final question for you, Lucy, before we wrap up is, I really love something that I know it's come up in your book and I'm sure I've seen you talk about it on social media or I've certainly heard you say it before, but you talk about people that donate money to charitable organisations and there's two different types <laughs> of people. And I think this is really interesting because I don't think a lot of people really reflect on their own action when they're choosing to donate. To donate. And I would love this to just be a little seed planted, especially as we are coming up for that time of year where, you know, we want to make some charitable donations. So yeah. what are the two types? Sure. Well, there's lots of types, but the, the, the best and the worst. Mm -hmm. So the best type of donor makes a donation, doesn't matter what size it is. You know, 50 bucks is a lot for some people. Sure. And 50 grand is nothing for others. Yep. So it's not about the size of the donation, it's the heart that comes behind it. Sure. So the best kind of donor gives a donation and says, use this where it's needed most. Got it. Sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. And then they get, they literally get a chemical response in their body when they make a donation with an open heart, with yep. total generosity and, you know, their own gratefulness that they're able to give and that sort of thing. And then they toddle off and they have a nice day. Yeah. <laughs> the worst kind of donor makes a donation. It could be 50 bucks. It could be 50 grand. Mm -hmm. But that donation comes with strings attached. Ah, okay. And those strings are usually tied really tightly to their ego. Okay. So they want that money spent in a certain way that feeds their ego. Mm -hmm. And that can actually cause uh, so much trouble for charities trying to apply those funds to whatever it is the, the donor would like them applied to or the donor could request that they're applied to something that charity simply doesn't need or want or it's not in their top 10 wish list. Mm -hmm. So sometimes people want, oh, I want this to pay for X. Um, and there might be something that's so that's far more unsexy. Yeah. So for example, in Ethiopia, we needed to build maternity care centers. Mm -hmm. They were really sexy and fun because you know, 400 babies would be born every year in these in these health centers, and okay. they could be kitted out with all the gear and oh that you know BP machines and Dopplers and <laughs> you know I paid for all of that. But what we actually needed was houses for the midwives to live in. Right. Because we found that midwives work much better if they have a house to live in. Funny that. <laughs> with running water yeah. and the basics. Uh, and donors didn't like that so much. Wow. They wanted to pay for the health centre, not the house. So uh, my request as a, a, an ex-CEO and certainly as a consulting CEO to the charity sector is that when you give to charity, have a long, hard think about why you're giving yeah. and the heart that comes behind it mm -hmm. then go to that charity and say what do you need what is it that you need mm -hmm. and I found this gorgeous donor oh, I love her so much the most gorgeous lady and I said she said that to me and I said we need salaries for doctors mm -hmm. because uh, the brain drain out of countries like Ethiopia uh, is terrible. They right. move to America where they'll get 300 times the salary. Of course. So we need salaries for surgeons. Mm -hmm. Would you be willing to cover one of those? She quizzed me about a bunch of things. And by the end of that conversation, she had committed to one salary for a surgeon, which was 50 grand US dollars. Wow. And three houses for midwives. <gasps> So she knew that we needed those too and she bundled all of those in into a $127,000 donation Sorry. because she came to me saying, what is it you actually need? Oh, best combo that a donor can have with a CEO. 
That's amazing. Yes, so think hard about your sentiment behind giving. Mm -hmm. Ask the, the organisation what they need. If you don't want to have that conversation, you know what the best thing you can do is sign up for a regular donation. Yes. Give 50 bucks a month. Oh, they are the bread and butter of charities. Mm -hmm. Those donations mean the CEO actually gets to sleep at night instead of freaking out about how they're going to meet costs. Mm -hmm. So those costs, even if those costs are in Australia and the work might be in Ethiopia, the work in Ethiopia can't get done without those costs in Australia being met. Absolutely. It shouldn't be seen as a bad thing. Mm -hmm. uh, so those are the, the, that's the best and the worst kind of donors. There's lots in between. Love it. It's still <laughs> mind-blowing to me that... I, don't, I guess probably until you'd actually said it, I'd never thought that there would be people in the world that would put any amount of money into a, a charity and and have those sorts of and demands on it. Oh, yeah. yeah, and sometimes they're not even the big donors. Really? Sometimes they're people donating $35 a month and they're banging you over the head, wanting that $35 yeah. to be cash in the pocket of a particular person in country that and you just cannot operate that way no so they take they take a lot of your oxygen wow. uh, yes just there's lots of those and then there's other crazy people who go who decide what you'd like go and buy it jump on an airplane take it to that country and ram it down the necks of the people they think need it like that's right. that's the extreme case and i've seen i've seen one of those that was so bad isn't that, isn't <laughs> so that strange bad. I don't, mm. yeah, that baffles me that those people are in the world. So there you go. If and you that are six listening, grand in flights they spent to get there would have been, you know, used uh, in a much better way. Oh my gosh. Yeah, you just got to think about that stuff from the, the need perspective. Yeah, absolutely. So if you're at home and you're thinking about charitable donations as we're coming into Christmas, which is where yeah, you're going to see a, a lot peak, of... Yeah, peak there. There's a bit of a peak mm. there. Have a think about what you're, you know, what you're feeling inside, what your actual motivation is behind... Your, your donation and maybe actually get in contact with the charity of choice. Ask them what it is they need and be one of the people that gives because it's good to give. Yeah, and it feels good. Yeah. Chemical high. Let, let, the, uh, let the CEO <laughs> actually sleep over Christmas <laughs> and not worry too much. Yeah. Um, well, Lucy, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank Thanks you for having me. Oh, Thanks for laughing at my joke. Oh, you know, look, anytime you want to test out some material, throw up my way. Coming to a speech <laughs> near you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yes, yeah, so again, everyone listening, please, please, please go out, get Lucy's book. Make get sure the girls that you, out. Yep, get the girls yeah. out, read it. Trust me, you will love it. It is for the, for the women, for the men, for teens, honestly. I honestly think everyone in Australia should be reading this book because there's just so many nuggets of wisdom in it about Thank you. embracing who you are and going with life and just and also laughing at it. stuff not taking yourself too Gosh, seriously yes, I think there's a fair bit of that in there absolutely <laughs> have some levity doesn't yeah. all have to be scary and super serious yeah yeah so there you go and uh, Lucy's off to do some speaking today to a, a large group which I'm sure will be very exciting and we look forward to next time you're in Melbourne hopefully we can catch up again um, and those of you who are listening, as I said, make sure you get out. Follow Lucy on social media. Yeah, I'm easy to find, at the Lucy Bloom. And it uh, won't be hard to pick if you're <laughs> confused between any Lucy Blooms. It's the only one with the pink mohawk, so trust me, you will find her. Um, thank you again for having your time with us today. And for everyone listening, remember this is all about the human experience. We are all in this thing together. So keep going out and being the true human that you actually are. And we'll catch you next time on the Human Experience Podcast.